A little announcement in terms of what the kids are doing. They will not be having the supervised playtime after the service, but they are doing VeggieTales this morning. So three, four, five, and six-year-olds head to the back. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Water Community Church. Welcome to all of you joining us online as well. We are going to begin a new series today called Old Testament Battles. And we're going to look at several of the battles throughout the Old Testament and try to glean what lessons those battles have for us today. The really fun part, as you saw before the service, is that Jesse and I, uh, Sheldon and Orange City, are doing this series together. And so we've been able to sort of uh, understand how we can work together, how we can research together, how we can do some uh, sermon prep together. And that's what this involves, getting into an outline that you have in front of you. If you didn't get one, it's actually right back through those doors. We're also going to have it on the screen so you can follow along there. I want to give a little disclaimer, if you will, a little understanding. Uh, usually, my sermon uh, outline way, my sermon uh, sort of delivery, kind of involves with walking through the passage verse by verse by verse. But what I thought would be fun today as we start this new series would be kind of treated almost a little bit more as a Bible study, uh, almost a little bit more conversational, if you will. And so that outline you see there is really uh, what I do for most sermons at the beginning of the week. I start writing just some general questions. I ask, what's happening? What's going on in the context of this passage? And so you see that question there. And then I say, what about other references? Like what kind of passages come into play as we look at this passage and so you see a couple of those ones and then I say what about quotes like what do commentators have to say what do authors have to say and I start gathering some of those and then finally I put my own thoughts like what is the Holy Spirit whispering to me what kind of tap on the shoulder do I have and so what I wanted to do today is quite simply walk through the passage read that all together and then walk through those questions and what that leads to, hopefully, is a conversation for you to take home, for you to have around the dinner table, for you to have with God himself throughout the week. Start asking some of those questions as you read this passage as well. With all of that, let's look at Exodus chapter 17. We're going to go from verses 8 to verse 16. And you'll see it there behind me. You can also follow along in your Bibles as well. This is from the NIV version, chapter 17 verse 8 it says this the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim Moses said to Joshua choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands and so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered and Moses Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady Till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. 
And make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So Moses built an altar and he called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Thanks be to God for his holy and inspired word. Will you join me in a time of prayer as we ask his blessing on our time? Let's pray. God, you have done so much through years past, through so many battles, through so many ups, through so many downs, through so many wars, through so many times of peace, God, you have been God. And God, as we just look at our own lives, as we have a narrow view of good times and bad, it would be easy for us to wonder, where did you go? Where are you? Maybe it's easy for us to think you're really close. Maybe it's hard for us to think that you don't move. God, I pray that throughout this scripture, throughout this story, throughout your Old Testament, we would see glimpses of what it has to do with us today. God, I pray that your spirit would be incredibly thick here today and that we would find something that comes from you, just a word or a phrase or an idea. God, tap us on the shoulder. Give us ears. Give us hearts. Give us eyes that are ready. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, for you are my rock and you are my redeemer. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So there's something very, very uh, scary and yet exciting about a blank slate, about a, a, a blank page. And when I begin my sermon prep, uh, usually uh, looking at the passage, looking at the sheet right next to me, and it's incredibly blank, and I start to wonder, oh no, what am I going to say? How in the world are we going to find a message out of this passage? And what I usually find, I actually had a great conversation with someone, uh, I think it was this week, maybe it was two weeks ago, but it was centered around uh, a certain passage that they had a question about. And we had lunch and I walked through some of the process that I go through and this was the one thing that really stuck with me. Uh, we've been watching a lot of Shark Week because it's Discovery Plus. Shark Week, anybody? Yeah, a couple of you. It's awesome. Sharknado is incredible. One of the best the theatrical works of our time. Now you really don't believe anything I say. But here's the thing that I really was stuck on. Uh, when we were talking about that passage in particular, and we were, I was having in my head all of these uh, documentaries and all that kind of stuff, the ocean is so incredibly deep that there are parts that we have no idea what kind of animal, what kind of fish, what kind of sea creature might be down there. Now, I start to think like, 
uh, oh yeah, you know, we, we get quite a ways down and with all our technology and all that kind of stuff, we, can, we know what's going on. We have a pretty good understanding after having been here for so many years as a human nature, as humankind, we've pretty much explored everything. And what this documentary reminded me of is we have only just barely scratched the surface, so to speak, on what's down there on what's underneath all of that places that we can't go because of water pressure and because of how far we can't get. And that was the analogy that I was using in this conversation with Scripture because we looked at this one passage together and it was a half an hour, it was a 45-minute conversation and we had just scratched the surface. And I started to get excited because I started to remind myself that as a pastor, as I'm uh, researching this one passage, I'm an explorer. I'm looking at this scripture and I'm just diving in and wondering and asking, well, what about this? What about that? And there is so much deepness there that the time could go on and on and on. And so this is why I struggle with the timing of a sermon, by the way, because there is so much there. And the exciting part that I want to give you just as a side note is that's not just the pastor's job. That's not just my deal to dive into this passage and to wonder about the possibilities and what God is saying. This is for each and every one of us. Isn't it cool that we are explorers and we can dive into this passage because there is so much deepness there. And so grab your scuba gear and let's get in. What's happening? This is one of the first questions I usually ask as I'm looking at the passage. Exodus chapter 17. What's happening? What's going on? Because context is everything. It's so easy for us, especially in the verse of the day world, in the language of the highlighters, all those kind of things. Just take the one verse that you like. Just take the one verse and put it up on the wall. But what I want to remind you of, what I want to ask you to do, is look at the surrounding verses. Look at the chapter. Look at what is happening in the context of that verse. And so for Exodus chapter 17, what is happening? I want to remind you that this is not long after the exit from Egypt. This is not long after the Israelites saw the ten plagues happening to the Egyptian. This is not long after Pharaoh had his heart hardened. This is not long after they exited being slaves and they set out into the wilderness. Remember, right after they left Egypt, Pharaoh had his heart hardened again and chased them. And they saw Pharaoh and all of his chariots fall into the sea. They crossed on dry ground as God's chosen people and they saw their enemies engulfed by water. Right after that, they started complaining. Right after that, they got out into the wilderness. And what happens when you're hot? What happens when you're tired? What happens when you're on just the beginning of a trip and the complaints start coming? Oh, I want to give an analogy so bad because I have kids. You know where I want to go with this. We set out on a trip uh, yesterday. Like we're going to go for a nice long walk and make absolutely sure you go to the bathroom. Make absolutely sure you go to the bathroom. Two minutes out the door, I got to go to the bathroom. Okay, I'm the only one that that's ever happened to? No, 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 no. It happens because 
we have this short-sightedness, and I want to relay to you, that's what the Israelites were displaying. Yes, we want to leave. Yes, we want our freedom. Yes, we want to get out of Egypt. Yes, we want to get out of here. Once we get out of there, this really stinks. Because it's hot, and it's a desert, and they're tired. Moses, where is our water? This is the really big line. You see it on that outline there that I think has something to do with the stretch of the journey, with the entirety of the journey. Verse 7 of our chapter, right before what we read, has the Israelites asking this, is the Lord among us or not? Moses sets up the uh, altar. Moses sets up what it's going to be called. He calls it Masa. In verse 7, the place where they were. Because that's where the Israelites started asking, is the Lord among us or not? How short-sighted. How amazing that they could already be asking that question. After they had seen Pharaoh's army get swallowed up. After they had seen the water pour out of the rock already. After they had seen all of those plagues. After they had seen so many descriptions of God's authority, they were asking immediately, is the Lord among us or not? Maybe, just maybe, this is a caution for you. Because we are so human-natured, because we say, what have you done for me lately? Stop asking, is the Lord among us or not? Yes, He's among you. Take a grand, big picture view of what He has done. Damon mentioned it, of course, the celebration of the birthday of our nation. And it's so easy for us to look at our nation in this very moment. We are in such trouble. The Lord must have left. Things are horrible. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. Take a look at the big picture. Only a few hundred years ago, there was a declaration that was signed. It doesn't take very long for us to forget that the Lord is a big God. Remember that He has not left. This is maybe just a little illustration as we ask these questions. I'm going to try to keep moving quicker through these questions. Um, what else is happening? What else is going on? Uh, I want you to notice, this is what stuck out to me, the Amalekites struck first. I also want to say, maybe I'm not going to answer some of these questions, but I'm just going to tee them up for you, and maybe we'll answer them today. Maybe you'll have to go home and read your scripture and figure out the answer. The Amalekites struck first. What does that mean? I don't know. But it's interesting to note, the Amalekites struck first. And then the instruction from God is, go out to fight the Amalekites. And I ask this question then, what do we know about these Amalekites. What do we know about that people? What do we know who they are? We'll find out some references later on, but just asking the question, what do we know about these people? How about this one? Stand at the top of the hill. I ask why. I wonder, like, why couldn't Moses go and stand in the middle of the battlefield? Why couldn't he go and stand by his tent? Why couldn't he go somewhere else? Why stand at the top of the hill? Maybe Visibility? Just a couple uh, uh, assumptions, just a couple maybes here. Maybe the fighters could be in the middle of their battle and they could look up and they could see Moses still standing there. How about this? 
I don't think it's too hard of a line to draw. Does it sound familiar? For someone to go up on a hill, for someone to outstretch their arms? Of course, what I'm alluding to there is Jesus Christ, the one who carried his cross up the hill. By the way, a wooden cross. He carried that cross up the hill and he stood with his arms outstretched. Could it be that even in Exodus 17, we're seeing little tiny breadcrumbs that say something about a hill is important? Maybe, just maybe, as you read through this passage, I hope you put your Jesus glasses on and you remind yourself that every part of our Scripture points towards Him. And so ask the question, what does this have to do with Jesus? Could it be that this is an appetizer? Could it be that this is just a little glimpse of what it's going to be like? Moses said he would stand there with the staff of God in his hand. Again, uh, the wooden staff. What is it about carrying wood up a hill? Same staff? I ask this question. Is it the same staff as he used during the plagues? My kids made such a big deal when we were out on a hike on vacation. Oh, I got to have a walking stick. I got to have a walking stick. Is there something about this one staff that made such a tie for Moses? Is there something about that staff? Because I want to remind you again about the importance of the articles that the Israelites would carry. Remember, they would put so much effort into the ark. Remember, they would put so much effort into the tent. Remember, all of the things that they carried were very, very important, and they had some kind of meaning. How about this? Uh, he would stand with Aaron and with her. Aaron is his brother. We know a lot about Aaron. We know that Moses was called to go and speak to Pharaoh to go and speak on behalf of the Israelites. And he said, I'm not much with talking. I really don't want to. And so God said, okay, then here's your brother Aaron who can be your voice for you. And so we know Aaron, but what about her? We don't hear a lot about her. We know, well, we don't know. We likely think, commentators write this, that it's a brother-in-law. And so maybe, just maybe, there's a uh, little glimpse that you can actually work with your brother-in-law and it can work. Uh, whenever Moses' hands were lowered, how about this one? Whenever Moses' hands were lowered, the Amalekites would win. Would win. Whenever not lowered, Israel would win. Some commentators actually equate this lifted hands scenario with prayer. And so they draw a very clear line. They try to say very uh, distinctly that what Moses was doing was not just being a visible sign. Moses was quite literally praying for his people in the midst of the battle. Obviously, that has a lot to do with where we exist today. If that is the point of this story, if that's one of the points of the story, then we are reminded again that we have a role in our battles. We have a role that exists especially in prayer. Reminder then, of course, if that is the case, that prayer doesn't stop when it gets hard. Prayer doesn't stop when your hands get tired. Prayer is needed to go on and on and on. He sat on a rock. 
I thought that was very interesting just because of the possibilities that that rock signifies, because of the possibilities that that rock doesn't move. And then the next one, I always love to pay attention to these words, so that. I like to look for a mission statement. I like to look for a purpose. I like to look for a specific reason. And when it's very clear in a story in our scripture that we hear so that, I think it's worth paying attention to about that purpose, about that reason, so that his hands were steady until sunset. And then the final one, built an altar afterward, and he called it, the Lord is my banner. The literal translation there is Jehovah Nisei. Lord over my victory. The Lord is my signage is another translation. The Lord is my flag is another translation. Something that signifies He is the one who has done the work. He is the one who claims this last victory. It's very important there for us to pay attention to the descriptive language. What about a couple of references? Because of the fact that Scripture has this beautiful overarching story, there's other places that we can look that have something to do with our passage. Just for focusing on who the Amalekites were, look, uh, look at Numbers 13, verse 29. As they are in their own scenario there, as they are in their own situation, we hear numbers tell us that the Amalekites lived in Negev. And then right after, uh, or right with that, Genesis 36 verse 12, we hear that the Amalekites were Esau's descendants. What do you want to tie with that? I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. But I will say this, it's quite possible that these Amalekites were a group of people that were very uh, transportation-centered. They would move from one place to the next. They didn't have their own place, necessarily. Remember, Esau was given the distinction or given the uh, prophecy that he would go from place to place. He would be a nomad without a home. He would be one who just travels over and over and over again. It's quite possible that these Amalekites had that same understanding. What does that mean? What does that tie together? Maybe that has something to do with how God has an overall picture that these people would be at that specific place at that specific time. It's not by chance then, of course, that as soon as the Israelites get out of that situation with Pharaoh, as soon as they get out of the situation with the water, here are the Amalekites. It's amazing how God orchestrates. I thought this one was really interesting. It came up as a verse of the day a couple of days ago, and I really felt called to... Uh, we have a chalkboard on our fridge, and so this is the verse that I put up there because it seems to be reminding me over and over again. Exodus 14, verse 14. As they are exiting, as they are doing all of the work with Pharaoh, all of the getting out of Egypt, God says this, to Moses, you need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. 
There's something there important with that same tie about verse 7 that the Israelites are already complaining. The Israelites are already asking, is the Lord among us? In chapter 14, verse 14, he's reminding them, he's reminding us, I'm the one who brings the muscle to this. I'm the one who does the fighting for you. There are some quotes that I want to remind us of or introduce to the conversation as well. Just from several commentators, from several books, from the intro to the New, or excuse me, to the Old Testament, it should say, the intro to the Old Testament by Longman and Dillard, it says this the Exodus account is one of the foundational stories of the Old Testament because it's narrating the pragmatic salvation event of ancient Israel, narrating the entire salvation event. This is a setup. This is an entire pattern that the Israelites are going to be experiencing. And then you can even take a step back and see that this is a pattern, this is a story that has so much to do with our salvation event. Isn't it true that we get rescued from something, especially big term, especially big picture, we are rescued from the depths of hell by believing in Jesus Christ. And as soon as we exit that, It's so quick for us to start complaining. It's so quick for us to say, yeah, but what about this? What about that? What about this one battle that I'm facing now? Are you really going to beat that one too? And the understanding there, the reminding there is that if he can get them out of Egypt, the desert has nothing against his power. If he can handle that, then he can handle this. And the same thing that is said for us, if he can handle the salvation of our souls out of the depths of hell, then can't he handle a shortage in your budget? Can't he handle an addiction that you face? Can't he handle something that you think is rocking your entire world? He is bigger than that thing. From the Enduring Word commentary, it is possible to be completely in the will of God and yet also in a season of great problems. As the Israelites were asking Moses, why are we here? Why do we have no water? Why are we being attacked? Why are we having this battle? It is incredibly clear that they were walking the path that God laid out for them. The path that God had designed for them. It is incredibly possible for us to be right smack dab in the will of God and yet also exist in a season of problems. Now Moses let Joshua fight while he did the more important work, pray for the victory. There's something to be said about the apprenticeship that we see handing off from Moses to Joshua. There's something incredible about this being the first time that we hear Joshua being mentioned, about we hear him starting to stretch his leadership muscles. And as Moses gave him the right or gave him the opportunity to go and do the fighting, Moses continued to pray for that victory. And then from a more recent one, Kyle Eidelman, uh, small g, gods at war, The deadliest war, he says, is the one that most of us never realize is being fought. What I wanted to open your eyes to 
what I wanted to have my eyes open to is what's my battle? What is my battle? Where is there a struggle against something or someone? And identifying that battle is a huge part of understanding who we need and how we are in need. So then, as a sort of finale sermon thought, things that crept up in my mind as we're looking through these distinct factors of the passage. Number one, the battle is where character is formed. This ties very quickly with a couple of uh, bullet points down. I've been reading a lot of the relentless elimination of hurry. And in that book, there is a specific call to remind ourselves that Jesus did not promise an easy life, but he did promise an easy yoke. And I want to chase that for just a little bit because this idea of my yoke is easy has maybe been misunderstood or has maybe been miscommunicated. The yoke being easy does not mean there is no battle. The yoke being easy does not mean there is no hard times. Instead, the yoke being easy means that he is there. In that book, in that Relentless Elimination book, he reminds us that a yoke is often, or was at that time, two oxen next to each other. It wasn't a single oxen, it was two oxen being right next to each other. And maybe, just maybe, what Christ is reminding us in that uh, analogy, reminding us in that phrase, that my yoke is easy, is that he is right there. He is right there as the partner in that battle, as the partner in that life. Reminder that as he tells us that his yoke is easy, he tells us that I'm going to be there. I'm not going to leave when the battle begins. I'm not going to leave when it gets hard, when it gets tough. I'm going to walk alongside you. And yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, it's going to be uphill. But we are going to do it together. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to hit that more as we get towards the end. Exiting Egypt, the Israelite people thought they would have an easy road. The battle comes almost immediately as they exit out of that safe place. But I put a little asterisk by the word safe. They thought it was safe. What if? The place that they thought was safe was where they wanted to stay. Remember later on, they're going to start complaining, let's go back. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to that land of slavery. But I want to remind us that what we think is good might not equate what God has in store. Maybe, just maybe, God has something better for you on the other side of that struggle. So, a couple of them down. We did the Jesus did not promise an easy life. The Amalekites attack them, not the other way around. Maybe the description that you need to hear right now, maybe the challenge you need to hear right now is to be on your guard, especially coming out of a difficult time, coming out of uh, a 2020 that was so difficult and all of those kind of things, that doesn't mean that you just let down your guard and, oh, good, we're done now. We're through a difficult period. No, reminder that the devil prowls around like a lion 
We hear that in 1 Peter, looking to devour. And so we stay on our guard. We remind ourselves that just like the Israelites were immediately attacked, we 